0: Hey everyone, Simone de Polygon here. Uh, What you're about to hear is a bonus episode of the Polygon show that was recorded at San Diego Comic-Con. And in it, you will hear Rebecca Sugar, the creator of Steven Universe, talking to our comics editor Susanna Polo. It's a really good talk. Uh, Rebecca mentions the concept of the sublime in art within like five minutes of the conversation starting, which is nuts. And she also talks about the future of Steven Universe beyond the show, which is exciting. So please do give it a listen, uh, like and subscribe and uh, stay tuned for more. Thanks for listening. Bye. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket.
1: Hey guys, we're gonna get started tonight. I'm Susanna Polo, by the way, I'm Polygon's comics editor. Um, yeah. And I'm here because I am a big fan of Steven Universe as I'm sure a lot of you guys are. Yeah. <laughs> um, anybody else here, fan of Adventure Time? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe even Hotel Transylvania? <laughs> um, but I mean, but we're here because we have Rebecca Sugar. Woo! And we're just gonna chat for a while about animation and Steven Universe and science fiction, and uh, hopefully have just a nice, chill time. All right, so we're gonna bring Rebecca out and get things started. Woo! So. Uh, we did a lot of, we've done some preliminary chats for this business secret. Um, and we came in sort of, you know, we're very excited to have you here because we're big fans of Polygon. And we feel like there's a lot of talk about Steven Universe that talks about the characters because they're super great. And that talks about, you know, the themes of self empowerment and, and diversity in it. Um, and we thought we'd take a little different tactic and, talk about Steven, you know, how Steven Universe is also this its sci-fi, like very creative, like epic story um, about, you know, to, to a certain extent that is about um, an alien race with very different society and a very different ideas about gender and family than us. Um, and so we wanted to talk about how you put Steven Universe together in that sense, the world building that you've done with it. Um, and. So everything, and I think the thing that people go to in Steven Universe and they realize as they go through the show is that it really feels like everything is planned out from, day, from episode one. You're making references to the end of the first season and stuff that comes back. Um, so can you talk about like how you put that together and what it was like feeding that into the show? Oh, sure. Well, from the beginning,
2: we were conceptualizing it as a coming-of-age story, and part of the way that we were approaching that was that we we were all writing what adults knew that Stephen didn't know yet, which was a way that we could keep the show a, a kids' show because they only say to him what you would say to a kid, and everything is from his point of view. Uh, so we would dis- we would be talking about the world, the the gem world, the human world, or I guess the world, and. Then we would try and figure out sort of when Stephen himself is being introduced to these context there All of these uh, concepts like when you would introduce a kid to those and and what they're specifically sheltering him from um, I, I got really excited back in College I took a class on the sublime and this idea of art that is unframeable, that the art exists outside of the frame um, and how that Shows up in everything, like even even just the idea of like a fashion model with a blank stare. The fact that you can't know what she's thinking, or, or uh, pieces of art that just imply that there's something just beyond. I mean, anim- it's it's completely implied It has everything to do with animation to me because even just seeing characters standing in a room, if you only see one quarter of the room, that's the only that's the drawing that exists the other side of that room it doesn't exist at all but that implication that you're in a real space that that idea that you're in this larger the illusion that you're in this larger space I like to think of that in terms of the drawings the layouts the world building the characters everything everything based on the theory of the sublime
1: and um, and was there a particular sort of form of the show that sort of like crafted how you did seeded all of those ideas and and put in the world building form of the show oh, well I mean I would organize everything and I
2: would make a lot of charts and lists I mean it's really dry <laughs> we'd just be like this you know this is you know this is this place this is this character this is you know this is how I mean I, I even as I say that it's so it's so you character a big, based a big bible of yeah Steven universe I mean early on when I was pitching I didn't share this because while I was pitching but I just had a list of every fusion and what their weapon would be like all of their names and all of their weapons um, and you know that wasn't part of my like pitch bible because it didn't mean anything it doesn't mean anything until you know who the characters are but i had all that data (laughs) from the get-go
1: yeah um but you mentioned uh that when you greenlit the series cartoon network mandated they were like look it's going to be shown non-sequentially you're going to have to you have to work within those constraints that people can watch any episode yes so
2: continuity was not really an option it was something i really wanted to do and and On Adventure Time, the same thing was true back then. And so we would find ways to create continuity. Like, you know, if Finn picked up a sword, he would then have it from then on. And and like, it felt like only we knew that, but we were very meticulous in tracking everything. Uh, But ultimately what they wanted, what we were were making, was supposed to be designed to play in any order all around the world. And that was not, desired at all. So with Stephen, it was like, there was no way I didn't want to have continuity, but every episode also had to work on its own. So we were just planting all of these seeds, like, and, and we would actually chart it out, like in terms of what he would learn per episode, like what piece do you need so that you can have one episode where you suddenly, like the puzzle completely comes together, but you've had this piece and that piece and this piece. Uh, leading up to it so that we could still make a self-contained episode about the puzzle, uh, which would then make sense because you had all the pieces from before.
1: And did that change over the course of the show? Did Cartoon Network sort of let, give you a little more leeway to have more direct continuity? Yeah, the first time, um, well, it was around
2: the time we were working on it. We it, internally we called it the barn arc, but the, you know, Peridot's arc. Mm-hmm. Um, we were already working on it and then all of a sudden, it, uh, they They had started doing runs of of episodes and, and they were like, "We want i forget how many they wanted it was like eight eight related episodes I was like done we're already like we were already <laughs> we were already doing it so um it, it was really nice and it, you know we were we were always going to do it um and then ultimately uh they aired in a very bizarre way, but we planned them um all of, all together and at a certain point, we just hoped that people would watch the whole thing someday from start to finish and see the flow that we had designed, which is actually going to be possible soon because they're going to air every episode of Steven in the massive mm-hmm. marathon. That is how, yeah, that is the way to please, well, I mean, I, I don't know if that's the way to watch anything, but
1: <laughs>
2: uh, but if it was the way to watch anything, it would be the
1: way to watch Steven. Um, some of my favorite, I, I love, hearing about this stuff, because some of my favorite creative stories, um, a lot of them are in animation are about um, productions that were like we wanted to do this thing, and either it was impossible, or you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Batman the Animated Series, and they talk oh, about how too. the censor rules that they had to go under that they were lucky glass to, breaking, yeah, glass yes. breaking, yeah, um, and they they couldn't they for a character who drops down from skylights all the time, they could not actually show any glass breaking on <laughs> the show, yeah, and and stuff like they had the same paint palette as Tiny Tunes to make Batman the Animated Series, and and um, and god what what's the one um, that they 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 were they were like we were blessed that we actually got the censors to agree to let us have guns that shoot real bullets because mm-hmm. we were making a noir show and it was in the era of like GI Joe and all this stuff where everything was lasers, but anyway, I am going on. Uh, works that flourish under cons- the constraints that are put on them are some of my favorite creative stories and do you feel like that applies to your world building on Stephen Universe? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we
2: would even, we created our own constraints. I'm actually a really big fan of, I guess not a fan, but I really believe in like setting limitations. Like one of the things that is super uh, inspiring to us or was inspiring to us when we were doing designs was like really old, Uh, video game character designs that had to function with the extremely limited amount of of pixels that they could work with, you know, you end up, the constraints like force a level of creativity that is just beyond. And and so the way I like to approach a project is to actually design constraints first. Uh, It's kind of daunting to be faced with a blank page where you could do anything and people say, oh, in animation you could do anything, but that doesn't mean it's gonna be good. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, the thing that uh, is exciting to me is, you know, Instead of trying to find a solution when there's no problem, you create the problem and then you solve it.
1: So what were some of the constraints that you laid down for the show? Oh, that everything is from Stephen's point of view.
2: You don't know anything he doesn't know. You don't see anything he doesn't either see or hear about and imagine in his mind. And that is sort of the, it's the thing that conceptually makes the show because it's a coming of age story so you're experiencing that with him. You're, you're gaining an understanding as you're gaining an understanding with him. But it's also just a, it's a puzzle that is exciting to have to continue to solve. Just like how is he, see, like um, the episode, the test is like the first time he's seeing the gems talk about him and they don't know he's watching. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Because we would write, we know what they were, what they're doing, what they're talking about when they're not, what they're not telling him we would write it, and that's sort of related to what I like about the theory of the sublime. Like there, there is stuff going on that Stephen doesn't know about that we know about as writers. Uh, and then trying to figure out these moments where he can then, the seal can be broken for him, and he suddenly let in on this. I that was just so fun to solve, just every, every time, always.
1: Uh. And I, yeah, and I think that particular moment speaks to so much to, I think, something that everybody goes through is realizing that grownups are just larger kids, oh, that yes. there isn't. What a terrifying <laughs> <laughs> moment when you, when you
2: realize, because you think that somebody has things figured out, that there, there's some sort of difference. Adults are different and then, You
1: realize that maybe you have to have it figured out. Yes,
2: yes, or, yeah, you do or no one does or everyone sort of does. It's a lot more complicated than it seems like yeah. when
1: you're young. Um, so Steven Universe came from a very planned out place. Um, you came to Steven from Adventure Time, which also has this really interesting approach to world building. And I was wondering if you could like, I know I understand that there, it seems very like a very different approach to it. And what was your Steven Universe planning a reaction to that or something that just you wanted to take a different approach or? Oh sure, I mean I was so inspired
2: by everybody that I was working with on Adventure Time I was working with some of my heroes from the world of independent comics, which is, is where it was coming from. And the way, the thing that I loved about Adventure Time is that it was, it's the real world, it's just the future. Like the, the, Everyone, people know that, right? Did I just ruin that? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows that, right? Um, it's a, it's a real, right? Because you know they sing the cheers, theme, like it's a real, it's our world. Um, I think so. The thing that was just so exciting to me to know that the, it's this level of reality. I mean, it's just it just is reality that we're working with. But just so so far, like it, everything is grounded by that idea. And then going into Stephen was different because I was like. I I mean, I would have loved to just do exactly that because I loved working with that, that idea that everything's changing, you're kind of slowly realizing that this, just, this is our world. Um, piecing that together with all these little bits of information. We used to have, there was a, there was a lot of uh, crew overlap from Flapjack at the time. Mm-hmm. And we used to we used to talk about having them just find like a, a tape of Flapjack and then just make a Flapjack episode and <laughs> just have them sit there and watch it. You know, things like that just were so exciting to me. So with Steven, I was like, well, it can't be our, like that was, Adventure Time is our Earth. That's what's exciting about it. So approaching Steven, I was like, I wanna create an alternate Earth. It's not the future, it is the present, but it's an alternate present and and have a really full understanding of what that alternate present is. Because it's a present, it's our present where gems invaded Earth uh, 6,000 years ago. And I wanted there to be all these little differences that, that everyone takes for granted. You know, uh, Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia are all one state called Del- Delmarva. Um, there's, uh, Hollywood is in Kansas in this universe because <laughs> because there's a reason, because Disney never left Kansas. laugh Studios took off. In like in Kansas, and he stayed, and so that's where <laughs> that's why when Jamie's like, I'm gonna go be an actor in Kansas. Like, there's it's not in, it's just not in California. In this, I can go, you know. But th- this is the thing. I have you know so much information about just you know it'll it'll matter when it matters to Stephen. <laughs> but you know, there's tomes and tomes of of info. I like the thought that in this world, so if you know, like um, harmonizing, they're like old old animation. Uh, staple i like the thought that they were called ising Harmon. like they didn't figure out to do the names the other way anyway yeah who
1: (laughs) no and and i think the reason why that works is because we're so used to media properties that just kind of like where you need like a stand-in for the thing that actually exists because you can't use an actual brand name Mm -hmm. like you know dc comics there's no coke or pepsi it's just soda cola Mm s-o-d-e-r you know and and i think that is a real like we all expected that. They're just like, oh, he just lives in a made-up state like The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, <laughs> and, no. And so the shock when you see, like, the map of the world mm-hmm. and is just... Um, so y- you have all of these details. Um, did you? And then you go in to make... You have to make a pilot, and you have to put it into this, you know, 11 minutes of... That's going to get you the rest of the show. Did you need... Did you have help slimming it down? Did you... Oh, sure. Um, I mean, so I always
2: think and work like this. Over, I would say overthink, but I think I, I think exactly the right amount. Uh, and I, at the beginning, I had a ton of information about the world. And this was about the same time uh, that I was working on Hotel Transylvania with Gandhi. Um, he had brought me on just for a very short time for a month. There was this intense month. I was going to have a month off um, from Adventure Time. And I thought, oh, this is good, because I am I'm already working. was already working two jobs. I was already working on the pilot on top of Adventure Time. And then Gandy asked if I'd come work on Hotel Transylvania. And I was like, I will of course not say no to you. And so I immediately went. I, it, I learned so much from him in, in just a month. Um, and I was driving back and forth uh, to Culver City, which is, it takes about an hour to do. So I wrote the theme song to Steven, driving to back and forth <laughs> in the car, because I had a lot of time to be alone and sing. Um and I remember talking to him about it because I was pitching him a bunch of ideas, which were all intensely complicated. And he was just like, let's boil this down. Like, what is the what's the one sentence? Like, who are these people? And um, you know, what's their relationship to each other? And it was so helpful to I, I think I've I've never quite stopped since sort of getting this advice from him, like taking this macro-micro approach to everything where it's just like, okay, what is I want all of that complexity, but I also want that simplicity at the same time. And there were, once I was looking at, at it from that lens, I started to just strip away all of the complicated things that weren't informing the simple thing. So it's like you can get as complicated as you, like you can add so much complexity to something, but if it's not reinforcing, you know, your point, mm-hmm. it's not, it's slowing you down. So I was just, taking out, enhancing the things that, that did enhance the simple version and removing all the things that were complicating the simple version, that was so helpful for me. Um, and he agreed to direct the pilot. Yes, he did the animation direction on the pilot. <laughs> this was, so I went, I went back, this was after I was off Hotel Transylvania, um, and I came back to uh, ask him if like, oh, do you know anybody who could do the animation direction for the, for the pilot? Um, would you recommend anybody? And he was like, oh, I can do it. And I was shocked. <laughs> I was just like, and I was in such a, from that moment on, I was in such a daze. I went to the parking lot, I got in my car, and I ran into a pole. <laughs> and, and it put a big dent in the, in the front door of my car <laughs> and from that point on the wind would just whistle through it when I drove anywhere There was like this, this little gap in the front door and I was just like oh, oh but, I, but I get to work with Gendy <laughs> like it would make
1: me sort of sort of and you guys all know who Gendy Tartakovsky is right yeah. Samurai Jack Hotel Transylvania. Yeah. Pennsylvania check out Primal because it looks yeah. unbelievable mm-hmm. Dexter all that stuff yeah. not the one that's just called Dexter the other one <laughs> um, so obviously there's you know when you're going to to create something new, it comes from all the stuff that you have shoved into yourself over the years and then used to to make, that becomes who you are and that become, put, gets put in the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanna talk to you about a bunch of your influences and because I'm the moderator and it's my favorite anime, we're gonna start with Revolutionary Girl Utena. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. Speaking of a work that like flourishes under constraints, like.
2: Yes. I Udna was super life changing for me. the person who lent it to me, uh, in high school was named Connie and that's where <laughs> that's where Connie's oh name gosh. comes from. Um but I, I was just I mean, it's beautiful and Fascinating and funny it's funny that's the thing that I really like it, when Aki, like jumps on the front of that car that is hilarious
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh it's
2: it's so fun um but also it was the it was like my first time seeing something about this character that's like gender expansive and bisexual, and I was mm-hmm. just like blown away it, it kind of like just stayed with and I actually don't recommend this. I saw the movie first. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Completely, completely do incomprehensible. Uh, and then I watched the series and then I watched the movie again. Um, I, I didn't know why they were turning into cars, but I figured there was <laughs> probably a reason. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just phenomenal. And I think one thing I like to do, especially when I get really into something, is just try and trace it back and back and back to to the source. Like, I really am fascinated by things by where things come from and what artists are influencing the artists that are making the thing that I like because I wanna know what they were getting inspired by. Um, and Una is very clearly related to Princess Knight. I, like I'm really interested in Osama Tezuka and I, I didn't really discover Princess Knight until much later. Uh, and recently, not recently, 2015 it was not recently, but in 2015, I got to go to Japan and I went to Takarazuka, the town that Osama Tezuka is from, which is amazing. They play the Astro with him on the train, <laughs> <laughs> if you go to, um, you know, I, I wanted to go there to, to go to the Tezuka Museum, but I also wanted to go to go to the Takarazuka Theater. Uh, and it's just so clear, like to, to be there and to be like this, you know, Tezuka is here, right by this, uh, If is anyone familiar with Takarazuka Theater? Um, it's so in this small town, there's a theater it's been around for a hundred years uh where women play every role. I saw them do guys and dolls, and it was awesome. It was one of the <laughs> best productions I've ever seen um there's they do they do so 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 many uh performances, and the theater itself is amazing. It's like walking into a middle schooler's jewelry box it's <laughs> like the <laughs> it's like the the carpets are red and gold railings and uh and the people who are there like you know it's it's these you know, teen girls are there screaming to, to see all of the performers, but then also like their grandmothers are there because that was around for them when they were teenagers. It's yeah. amazing. And and the show is amazing. And to know that, you know, he grew up, Tezuka grew up next to this, you know, gender expansive theater and created Princess Night, which informed Revolutionary Girl Utena, which eventually reached me. And to see his influence—I mean, obviously he influenced all anime—and also his influences, because he was so influenced by Disney. Uh, so it's just so 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 exciting to me. It was so unbelievable to get to just be in that place and think about how. Just I just like thinking about people getting inspired. <laughs> yeah.
0: Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all.
1: And I think just sort of in the general trend of like, trends of influences. I think that there's in the past, you know, five or six years we've seen or not even, you know, maybe just like it's this it's this generation of animators and the the slow diversification of the American animation industry that we're getting a lot of works from people who grew up identifying with magical girl characters and are now modernizing it and regurgitating it sounds gross, but like that's the creative pro like like Changing it and, and bringing it to new audiences and bringing it to like the age of kids who they were when they saw it, um, and I feel like Steven Universe is definitely a part of that. Um, and I guess can you sort of like speak to like where that trend is and like how you like how you're influenced by Magic Girl stuff and well, it's it's interesting. I,
2: I I tend to not like to use the word trend because. It, I think that a lot of the people who are creating material now were actively stopped from doing it for so many years, mm-hmm. so to me, it doesn't seem like a like a trend. it's just that there it was prohibited from happening, and that's why it's happening now um and could have been happening and and honestly when you when you think of something like Takzuka has been happening and and will continue to happen and will always happen because yeah. we're all humans that have to express ourselves and I think um. What's interesting now I think about this this generation of sort of American artists is that for me a lot of that stuff I was seeing I was watching it on Cartoon Network when I was a kid um you know I was watching Tanchi Universe and I was watching um you know sailor moon and i I understood it was i, I understood it wasn't American, but I didn't understand it didn't belong on Cartoon Network because it was there. So I I think that I just had so much access. I was very lucky. And now I think everyone has so, so, so much access to everything. There's just so much to get inspired by. And I was also really lucky growing up because my uh, dad was a really big animation fan. So he would have copies of like Canadian shorts and, um, I grew up with the you know the copy of Beauty and the Beast that has all the storyboards and rough animation. Ooh no! Um, so there's this is the only copy I had. <laughs> <laughs> like he like he got the copy that had um, there's a version of Beauty and the Beast where it it cuts to all the different stages like as it goes through. So uh, all the the sound I think is essentially the same, but you'll see boards and you'll see layout and then it you know you'll see finished animation just. I, like when I was little, I, because my dad was an animation fan, I never thought that it was like real. I always knew it was something artists did and I, would al- I had all this access to um, this kind of behind-the-scenes info. And, you know, so I knew, I knew that anime, I knew anime was anime and I, you know, knew Canadian stuff, you know, was so Canadian. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I was just so excited by the different approaches and, and I think people have more and more and more access to that. Uh, and that you see the influence where people people can, like you see stuff, people are coming out of college, their stuff looks so French, it's like you have all this <laughs> amazing, you know, but then I say it looks French, but then, you know, people in Japan are inspired by France, and uh, people in France are influencing what's going on in Canada, and everything becomes so interconnected. Um, what I, I
1: completely forgot what we were talking about. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I have also sort of forgotten what we were talking about, which is a bad moderator move, yes. Um, Um, Yeah,
2: yes, I think, here's what I think is really exciting, I don't know if I would call it a trend, but the fact that we all have so much access to, to every, like, not everything that ever existed, but so much of it at our fingertips, and there's so much to be inspired by, um, that I think is really changing the animation world. Um, it's certainly changed my life to be able to just, you know, find and instantly watch things that I, you know, I used to dig and dig, searching for Like I can just see instantly, uh, you know, it's almost too, it's almost a little overwhelming. Evangelion is on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, now, Evangelion yeah. is on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Oh gosh. I've been telling people like, just, just open up on, on YouTube, like fly me to the moon and just as soon as it ends, just watch, Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, please watch the... <laughs> But yeah, the real ending. Um, but that's exciting. I I watched that all in,
1: in one weekend as a teenager, which is not oh. the way to watch that
2: show. <laughs> I just got so sucked in.
1: Yeah, no, the way I the, I watched End of Ava before I watched anything else. Oh, <laughs> God. I had a friend who did me wrong. And <laughs> or sitting next to me explaining what everything actually meant. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> but it's still very, I still, you know, I'm uh-huh. still watching it on Netflix now. Anyway, um, uh, science fiction influences. Um, Ghibli is obviously a big influence for you. And oh, you sure. recently did some work with the Ghibli Museum, I believe.
2: Um, oh, not with the museum per se, but oh. with G-Kids. I, I did an intro for Whisper of the Heart, which is my favorite movie of all
1: time. Now, I'm not familiar with that one. Is that...
2: Really? Oh, oh gosh. gosh. It's... Uh, <laughs> wait, are you saying that to <laughs> tee me up? Or are you? Uh, is it <laughs> no, <dry>? both. <laughs> it could be both. Okay, well, <laughs> um, it's a, a film that was directed by Yoshifumi Kondo, and it was storyboarded, and it was translated from... Uh, it was it was a manga that that Miyazaki then boarded uh, and kind of made work as a film, and it's just beautiful, naturalistic, like stunning expression of what the creative process feels like. And there and there are other Ghibli movies that I think do that amazingly well too. Like Kiki's Delivery Service is so is such a beautiful depiction of artist block. Um, but w- what I, re- I mean, I'm gonna like launch into my intro. <laughs> what I mean, what I really love about Whisper of the Heart is that this—it has this focus on craftsmanship. And then and the thing that I really feel about uh, the way that, that I like to look at animation and art, like I really like to approach it from a craftsmanship perspective. I like talent is important, but I'm interested in in the work aspect of it, in um, the study aspect of it. And I feel like often when people talk about art and artists, they focus on like that one moment of inspiration or that, that one eccentric talent that's just bleeding content out of themselves. Because they're, they're so, like, I, I like thinking about, you know, the person that is taking notes on what works and what doesn't to make a piece of media good. You know, the, like I like the thought that you can approach it, that, that this is a craft, um, that you can study and and I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but uh, but I just I love thinking about art that way, and and it's so rare to to see art expressed that way, and it really is in in whisper of the heart, like the work is part of it
1: yeah we're very we're very in love with the idea of the muse and the tortured artist up in their hideaway, and they slide the art out under the door and you know. Uh-huh. And it just happens, kind of thing. Ha, have you
2: ever have you seen film, film, film? It's it's this Russian cartoon, no. film, film, film. Um, I think about I've been thinking about it every day because I've been working on the Stephen <laughs> film. Um, there's like the this sort of muse. This there's a writer character. When you see him, you'll you'll see the zircons are very influenced by this particular <laughs> this particular design. I love this character, um, kind of seeing seeing the muse and frantically writing and by the end it's just so. Terrified that his story is going to be mangled by the
1: process, and um, it's great. Yeah. Um, so we talked about a bunch of your influences, and and one that I definitely want to touch on is you mentioned *The Left Hand of Darkness* oh, by sure. Ursula K. Le Guin, and, which is another you know sci-fi epic that deals with issues of gender and and also confronting and confronting the alien and learning something about yourself mm-hmm. and um, I was wondering if you could talk about sort of your experience with discovering that book. Oh sure, well Kat Morris lent me
2: her copy. Kat is my co-executive producer on Steven. Um, way, way, way back when we were starting the show. We were we were roommates for a brief time as well um, and, and we were in college together. And uh, She lent me this book uh, and it was just so interesting. What I loved about it, uh, there's so many things that I liked about it, and I haven't read it since, so my memory may be a little hazy, but I liked how it's like these, this alien world and this human person um, is entering it, and so much of how their society works is just expressed through how they treat him. Like, like it, again, it's, like it, it's science fiction, but it's so character-based, um, and it really comes down to these in interpersonal interactions and, and people's personal philosophies based on this world that they're in. And the world is just different. I think it's similarly how, how I like to approach things. Like you, cre- you create this different world, but then you bring it all into the lens of the personal, which I thought was really exciting. Um, yeah, and I, I, I was lucky enough to see Ursula K. Le Guin speak um, not too long ago. And it, it was so inspiring. And she read some of her poetry, which was just stunning. Um, yeah, I'm very lucky.
1: It's very cool. Um, and uh, I don't want to leave off without going with one that you wanted to talk about, which is um Jules Pfeiffer. You wanted oh, this is yes. this really legendary cartoonist. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have um, The Phantom Tollbooth with really charming illustrations, those are his. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and,
2: yes. I Stephen like so you had been asking earlier just sort of what are the deep 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 Stephen influences? And I was I was really racking my brain trying to go as Far back and as deep as possible, but Jules Pfeiffer is, is so much of it. I like he his cartooning. Also, I just love the way that he draws. Um, but I read a bunch of his children's books when I was young. I used to carpool with his nephews when I was a little little kid, and so I had th- this one book which was actually dedicated. His nephews had a bunch of extra copies because it was dedicated to them. So I got one of these extra copies. It was called The Barrel of Laughs, A Veil of Tears, and. I loved this book. It felt so sophisticated to my little child mind. And it is, it's, it's really um, this beautiful story. And the whole thing is deconstructing these, these tropey fairy tale ideas. There's this prince who every time he gets near anyone, like his power is that they'll just start laughing hysterically. And, and it's because he's sort of, it's good. It's like, it's like a positive thing, but he can never really be close with anyone. It's just so interesting and very huge influence on um, Pink and Rose, honestly, as a character. Oh boy, yeah. And the uh, other super direct reference to that book is that there's a character in
1: it uh, called Plain Sadie, and that's where Sadie's name comes from. And of course, Stephen Universe isn't just about, yeah, you know, the, the, the characters don't just communicate, you know, they're not just about what they look like and what they say. They are also very musical. They express themselves through song, and I imagine that there are a lot of musical you know, musical theater influences on the show as well. Oh, sure, well. Um, that was a tee up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, one of the really big
2: influences on the show uh, was, is Patty Lapone, who I saw, I went to college in New York City and I got to go see her perform. Uh, she was in, there was a version of Sweeney Todd where the cast was also the orchestra and she played the tuba on stage like during her part, as she's Mrs. Lovett, and like it, my hair was just blown back, like, and I wasn't familiar with her before the, before that, really, really. Um, I mean, the thing that I I learned from her, and I wrote her a big, <laughs> a big letter about this when I was asking if she would play Yellow Diamond, um, just the idea that you could be so dramatic that it's funny, or so funny that it's dramatic. I mean, she's just, she can do all of it. And then I saw her in Gypsy a little bit after she, she did like, Everything's Coming Up Roses. And I can't, I'm, I can't even talk about it because I get like full body chills and I feel it starting just thinking about how I'm about <laughs> to talk about it. Like she does this part, it's, it's like, Everything's Coming Up Roses and she's she's performing to the audience and the, and the audience is like, we're all going crazy because she's so good, right? And then you see her character like drinking in the applause of the audience. She's imagining who is us, I, and it's just like this meta, uh, like moment. This like transcendent theater moment of just like we're all like participating in, like we are her fantasy. Like we don't even really exist. Like all that matters is her because that's what her character feels. Like oh my gosh, it was just so unbelievable. And that's just my ideas about drama and comedy. So much of that comes from just seeing her perform. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what I said, and then will you
1: please play this part on my show? <laughs> because you're incredible. And she's fantastic on the show. She's, you know, oh, it's yeah. it's every time she's on, it's uh-huh. just like, anyway, I don't what, know. What words could describe Yellow Diamond? Oh, yeah. Um, and you've been doing even more musical research in as you've been working on the film. Right. Um, because um, it is yeah. just, I mean, Stephen Universe is musical, but it is A musical. Yeah, the Steven Universe movie is a musical,
2: a full musical. And so I was gearing up for years. I was gearing up to do this. And um, it was like a whole stretch. I think there were probably two years. It was me and and Ian um, Jones-Corty. We'd go home from work, and we'd either put on a musical or a movie, a... A movie based on a TV show because I'm like this thing has to be a really good movie based on a TV show and it has to be a really good musical. So what makes both of these things good? And so we would watch it and I would be just just taking down notes like why like why is this working like what or if it doesn't you know why is this why is this not working? Um, I really enjoy a lot of these like um, '70s musicals that just. Completely dissolve into like psychedelia in the third act. I'm not uh, like, it's just interesting. Uh, well, I, no, I shouldn't say 70s, these are, these are from like the 40s and, and 50s, honestly. And um, yeah, so we would just be going back and forth. So it would be like, all right, w- you know, we'll watch Ziegfeld Girl, and then the next night we'll watch Beavis and Butthead do America. <laughs> and then it's just like, why is this, you know, why does this work? Why does this work? How, how do we combine this? Um, you know, and just and going back to things that I saw when I was a kid. I really liked Zigfield Girl. But I mean, Busby Berkeley is a huge influence on like *Home World*, so I was watching a lot of Busby Berkeley and a lot of Judy Garland. Um, and but I, I have a real I like I love Bob Fosse, and I really subscribe to his philosophy, which is that when a character has to be feeling something so strongly that they're compelled to sing, and then when that's not enough. They're compelled to dance, so it all has to like. There are definitely some musicals where that's not happening, where you're kind of going song, song, song. Um, goofy movie is really good. Uh, yeah? like t- movie of a TV show. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we was going back to that. Although I, I wish it had a couple more songs in it. Let's talk more about the Goofy movie. Yeah. <laughs> goofy movie is intense. Yeah, Goofy movie is intense. Like uh, that scene in the hot tub. Where it's like, my son <laughs> respects
1: me? Oh, my God. That's intense. Um, it's really, I don't know. I really like it. Uh, no, I, I think that there's just been like, I feel like I've been getting a lot of Goofy from the general churn of the internet lately. Oh, with really? With just like Powerline uh, mm-hmm. and, and um, I don't know, maybe it's just that Polygon put up a big post the other day about diving into uh, what happened to Goofy's wife. Oh, god. <laughs> and he'd like, just be like, the mystery of like, Um, Anyway, this is. Well, there's
2: there's so much interesting Goofy, like like tracking Goofy back in time. It's like, who are we really? Are we talking about George Geef? Are we talking about, like which iteration of Goofy? Yeah, he had that. He had that other wife in like the 50s, and that other son with the red hair. You know? I'm interested in the Geefs, like the like the Goofy, (laughs) the the infinite Goofies that exist in those how-to cartoons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really I really like a lot of those. Um, and then uh, you can go all the way back to Dippy Dog, which is kind of his own character. Well, one thing I love, oh my gosh, this is, this is sort of an <laughs> influence too. Art Babbitt wrote this description of Goofy that I, that I read back in college. I just love it, it's so beautiful. It was like, he was trying to explain Goofy to other animators, like this is how this character moves, but it's so beautiful. It's like, he, he, he's like absent-minded, he'll be thinking about a song that will occasionally like, escape as a whistle, it was like how his clothes hang on his body, like the way that he's a little disheveled, like this thing it reads like a love letter, it's beautiful <laughs> and and I just the depth it's funny because you understand all these things about goofy. Um, you know, you understand what he's like and and that he deserves your respect in in this interesting way, like there's something wholesome and maybe not in the new, the new shorts are actually kind of a different mm. side of goofy as well, yeah, maybe not that not the Art Babbitt. Um, humble respectable It's <laughs> sort of <laughs> scary in
1: the new shorts yeah isn't the one that ends with him like swallowing Minnie and Mickey whole
2: uh I would believe that I haven't seen that one <laughs> but that sounds about right uh, <laughs> I saw the one where he just I just recently where he broke apart into a bunch of pieces and they reassembled him into like a car and stuff that was a little freaky okay um, anyway we well,
1: bringing it back to Udina I guess
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really like I, I've been working recently with um I have a uh, co-executive producer, Alonso, who w- has been working on the Mickey Shorts for many years, and it's so cool to hear about them. Um, anyway, we can talk about it, but uh, I, I think, you know, what What I love is that, like, cartoons can be so many, many, many things, and and I love studying all of it and trying to find those exciting moments you know from from Udina, princess Knight, um you know film 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 uh log driver's waltz, you know looney tunes uh just th- there's so, so many uh so many beautiful visual ideas and and often you know it it won't be like the whole there'll be things that are especially if you delve delve deep 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 in animation history you know there's so much that's that's honestly horrifying to find but then we also have access to all of these brilliant thoughts or these these moments of genuine expression that people made over all of these years that we can take and reinterpret and make our own and you know i love the thought of combining what i love about utena and the goofy movie, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I love the thought of, of taking what I like about, uh, you know, Zigfield Girl and mixing it with what I like about the Good, the Bad, and the Huckleberry Hound. Yeah. You know, there's there's just so there's brilliance everywhere, and um, and I love that we are each, we can each be our own individual, you know, gold panning device. To just try and, and
1: sift out these these little moments of brilliance and and then take them for ourselves. Yeah. Um, there's so many Steven Universe episodes of Steven Universe have you know the one song that sort of caps off the the heart of the episode. Um, but Mr. Greg is just a full. There are several songs. It's a musical. It has all the the rhythms and the beats of a musical. Um, has that, do you feel like you have learned stuff from Mr. Gregg in going to the movie? Yes.
2: Oh, yes. I mean, Mr. Gregg was my first experience trying to write a musical, albeit an 11-minute musical. Um, and that was just, it was so overwhelming. Um, and, you know, uh, Joe Johnston and Jeff Lou who storyboarded the episode, and, and Jeff, I write songs with Jeff all the time. I mean, they just did such a beautiful job. And, I mean, it's like seeing it come back and I don't know if I've ever been so moved, like getting a, getting a work print back and just seeing it and being like, oh my gosh, Like we actually made, we made a musical episode. And I love musical episodes of things, so I was excited to make a musical episode. But that was also sort of practice for the movie. And the other thing that was practice for the movie was... Um, uh for just one day, let's only think about love. Like at that point we all knew for sure we were gonna get to do this. So we were just like, we're gonna officially test uh like can we can we do a number, like a really musically musical number. Just an ensemble, mm-hmm. everybody in. Yeah. yeah, and I and I really love songs where well this is for just one day, let's only think about love, where people sing and then they chat for a little <laughs> bit and then they launch into singing <laughs> again. I used to watch a funny thing happen on the way to the forum a yes. lot as a kid. <laughs> um <laughs> And I loved when, like, Zero Mostel would be like, would just, like, stop and be like, and now I'm explaining this part. Then he would launch back, like, into into singing. Um, So I I would talk to them about a a comedy tonight. And, um,
1: I mean, there's just so many. That stuff is so fun to me. Yeah, no, no. Comedy Tonight is very much the same theme as... um for just one day, let's, always, let's only think about love. Very, very inspired by that. Um, do you feel like there was a, there are any particular musicals that you were hitting with Mr. Gregg that you were just like, this is, oh, I wanna yeah. lift this into it?
2: Yeah, Victor Victoria. I, I'm, I was very inspired by Victor Victoria. Um, and uh, just directly, like the, the, um, the sequence where the camera's panning around Pearl as she's singing is a very direct reference to uh, Crazy World. With Julie Andrews, where she's in a, she's in a suit, and the camera's slowly panning around her as she's singing this song, um, and you like lose the the audience is there, but you lose them like you're just focused on her until it, until it comes back around. It's like you're this very personal place, and then you see that she's sort of being watched, and um, I I love that sequence and that movie. You know, all of these things they're dated in their ways, but there's a lot of just beautiful moments that stuck with me.
1: And was it, I, I, my best friend is an animator and whenever he sees turnarounds like that, he's just like, oh, there we, they did it. Like, yeah. was there was that also just like the technical challenge of? Um, I mean, that's not, well, <laughs> Joe Johnson
2: drew that part and and really posed it out. But also you know, our super brilliant directors at Sun Studios in Korea, I mean, you can see how much care was put into that sequence um it's just really beautiful uh i have i have some of the the paper drawings from from it's over uh, i went to visit um director park and director kim and director bay uh and took home some of the some of the pearl drawings from that and they're just so so beautiful and um, oh, it, if anybody doesn't know, Steven Universe is animated on paper. Um, oh my gosh! Yes, everything is inked by hand. Um, the color is digital, but the the pencils and the inks are all on paper. Uh, so I have some of those paper drawings from from Mr. Greg. It's just so, so. Her, I have the whole sequence where she's walking on the on the glass banister, um, which is just so 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 lovingly done, and the inks are super beautiful and. Um, Anyway, and a, a lot of cartoons are still drawn on paper. Uh, I just really want everybody to know. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I really care, I really love traditional animation. I really love 2D animation.
1: Um, and it's still alive in TV animation. I remember I think Mr. Gregg came out during San Diego Comic-Con maybe two years ago. And I watched it on the – I downloaded it on my laptop with, like, the Wi-Fi sitting in the shuttle because I had to get it and, like, watched it on the shuttle next to my coworker who'd never seen the show and didn't understand why I was, like, losing it (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) to this song. And I – I had no, nothing to offer. Oh, Just
2: we had been we had been building up to that episode for so, so, so long. And, and it changed a lot. Like it became a lot sweeter and simpler. Like there was an early version of that where when Pearl was upset, she was like picking up cars and chucking them at Greg. Oh my Grant. God, yes! <laughs> uh, we, we like, we went a different direction. Yeah, um, yeah. But I like, that's sort of, it's odd to say it out loud because I'm like, oh, we always knew we wanted it to be an empire city. Like that was always a part of it. And, and we always knew that we were gonna explore their conflict. Um, but yeah, everything everything
1: evolves a lot. So we've been skirting around the movie a little bit. But how many people were here? How many people here were in the panel this afternoon? Were the okay? Quite a few people. Thank well, you would for you, coming. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to see the trailer
0: again for the new movie? <laughs>
1: So, you've been doing a lot of uh, TV movie research, and you told me that the first thing that you sort of learned from that was uh, was how to make it feel like a movie and not just a long episode. Right. Um,
2: I'm not sure exactly how much I can say that about like. No, no, no. <laughs> my we approach towards no, the movie. We do not
1: want. We do not want to share spoilers here. That's no fun. Uh huh. It's no fun for anybody.
2: Yeah. But I think you know, in approaching a movie based on a TV show, you really have to dig into, like, what what the TV show is fundamentally about, um, and and work with that, like like how do you make this like quintessential expression of what this is, but also also new simultaneously. Um, was really interested in these different approaches to that. I actually thought a lot about. I don't know if anyone's seen the Dexter's Lab movie, Ego Trip. Um, I think that's just such a smart approach because it's it's a sci-fi concept, but it's so character-based. It's Dexter and Dexter and Dexter and Dexter. But it's, you get all this insight into him. Um, I just thought that was so brilliant, and I really liked it when I was young. Um, so, you know, I think another thing I really like about Beavis and Butthead to America, which uh, that, uh, my team has several artists on it that worked on that movie. Uh, my, my animation director, um, Nick DeMeo, who is Steven's namesake, um, the real the real DeMeo is Nick, uh, worked on Beavis and Butthead and so did Kimson, my director Kimson. Um, so I also feel an affinity <laughs> towards it for that reason. But I think it's just, it's also really smart because they, uh, you know, what matters in that show is that they're watching TV and their TV gets taken away. You know, know, that's a big, that's a big
1: deal. Like the show, you need that for the show to, like this is something beyond. I
2: think it was really smart.
1: Uh, Did you find, so you're going from a very short format of 11 minutes or maybe 22 minute two-parter to a movie. Did you find that freeing? Was it exciting? Was it nerve wracking, you know? Oh, everything about the movie was
2: terrifying. (laughs) I mean, we had just, you know, we'd been doing Change Your Mind, which was a 44, that's a 44-minute episode. It's just incredibly difficult, and also the culmination of so much of of what we had been working on for six years at that time. Um, And... And then we couldn't even quite feel good about that because we rolled off of that onto an even bigger, even longer, even harder <laughs> version of Steven Universe. Uh, but that we were kind of just like ramping. It was like we'd ramped up and up and up and up to change your mind. and Reunited had been so difficult too, that half hour. Um, and then we just came off of that, just trying to keep all, all cylinders firing, but then firing even harder. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm really tired.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: But I'm so excited for this to be out. Like we I, we just worked so, so, so hard on it. Um, you know, it's not just like, you know, eight episodes s- strung together. It's, it's not even like eight Mr. Greggs strung together, which would be clo- a closer, you know, analogy. I mean, this is, it's a completely different, and approaching it as a musical, you know, to have, I mean, approaching Mr. Gregg, it was so exciting. You know, how do we make these songs inform each other and how do we create reprises and and make this all like a a piece, like each individual song. I mean, so much of it is like the show, like each individual piece of it has to be great on its own and then together even greater. Like that's so exciting. I I feel like um, when I was really, young, uh, you know, I, and I liked cartoons, and then I like first discovered anime. Like like I'd be like, oh, cartoons, like, you know, it's just like one story. You know, oh, anime is so much more complicated because it's like this long, overarching story. Like this must be so much harder. And then I start working animation. I'm like, oh man, making one self-contained story is really hard. It, it's actually a lot <laughs> harder, uh, but then I guess because I'm such a masochist, I tried to make a show that is both an overarching story <laughs> and has self-contained episodes that still are good on their own. And I try to approach everything like that, every song to be good on its own, but also a really important part of a larger piece.
1: Do we have, do we have time for one more? Okay, so, Steven Universe comes to an end eventually. You take, hopefully, like six months off to recuperate. <laughs> Do you have something you want to do next? Do you have uh do you have just sort of like do you have a something a different kind of thing you want to approach or just, you know.
2: Oh, I don't know if I Is can. that even on the horizon? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean I, I just I don't know if I can talk about it per se. Um I mean the between I would like to take some time to just like go somewhere and write poetry <laughs> that no one will ever see. <laughs> uh, I've been learning guitar, I really want to write songs on guitar. And, um, but you know, Stephen is so important to me. So, uh, you know, my head is really in it while I'm seeing it through. Yeah. And there is more after the movie. Uh, so I'm, yeah, so and please know, I mean, there, you know, this world, there's a lot, especially, You know, the movie takes place two years after the events of Change Your Mind. Um, And there's a lot of, there are a lot of stories to tell that, I can't. I just just stop. Stop talking. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, there, yeah, there's some things that uh, you know can't get wrapped up in two two years even. Yeah, no, revolutionizing an entire society. Yeah, think so? You know, we'll we'll have a, a few. We still have a few things to say about this yeah. universe and and um and about these characters. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm really excited. Not just. I mean, I'm so excited for the movie, but I'm just really excited about everything. Uh.
1: Yeah, it's well, a little... I think we're really excited about it too. Oh thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thank you for coming out and chatting with us. And thank you guys for showing up. Um and yeah, that's what we got for tonight. Thank you guys so much. Woo!
0: Special thanks to TCL and the San Diego Chinese Theater, our Polygon Network director, Andrew Melnazek and the Vox Media Experiential team. Our producer, as usual, was Ross Miller, and our editor, as always, is Jelani Carter. Theme music is by Miles Ewell.